to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobody might suffer six hours rage for watching arguments against the five star review of Speed Talking after John Green's Anthropocene Review. The fastest talker in the world, according to the Guinness World Records, is a Canadian man named Sean Shannon, who broke the record in 1995 by reciting Hamlet's to be or not to be soliloquy in 23.8 seconds flat. This puts Shannon at nearly 11 words a second, which is approximately four times faster than the average person. For context, the fastest comprehensible voice you'll hear on the radio is about five to six words a second. The only way to understand someone speaking 11 words a second, which is Shannon's winning time, is to record them speed talking and then electronically slow the audio until you can make out each individual word. Which is exactly what the Guinness World Records does when confirming someone's record-breaking speed talking attempt. Or rather, that is exactly what Guinness World Records did until the fastest human voices surpassed the technology used to monitor them. Soon after Sean Shannon broke the world record, Guinness stopped taking applications for potential speed-talking champions because it was too difficult to verify the accuracy of competing attempts. This is one of the reasons why Sean Shannon's title as the world's fastest talker is a bit arbitrary. It's probably not a coincidence that every speed-talker on Guinness record is a native English speaker, or that female speed-talkers are kept to their own category. But the most devastating blow to the prestige of Guinness speed-talking comes from Steve Woodmore, the man who held the speed-talking record before Sean Shannon broke it. When asked how he discovered his gift for speed-talking, Steve Woodmore responded, I first discovered this talent when I was a little child, and it's been of absolutely no use to me since. Granted, the Guinness records are not really concerned with useful skills. Guinness is concerned with superlative skills, like the longest motorcycle ride through a tunnel of fire, 200 feet, or the most rotations while hanging from a power drill stuck in the ceiling, 141. But with such speed talking, apart from, say, the greatest weight lifted by a beard, 139 pounds, is that there are genuine speed-talking celebrities. Talk. Before Sean Shannon, the record holder was Steve Woodmore, and before Woodmore was John Motormouth Moshida Jr., who broke the previous speed-talking record when he was only 12 years old, after deciding he wanted his name in the Guinness Book without having to pay money, eat a car, or swallow a lead pipe. Moshida is known best for a string of micro-machine commercials in the late 80s, but he was also a spokesperson for FedEx, Minute Rice, JetBlue, Burger King, and any other film, commercial, or stage show looking for a fast and portable act to associate their product with. Despite Shannon's title, if you Google World's Fastest Talker, the top results are almost all Moshida. Guinness can take all the measurements they want, but the numbers are no match for nostalgia. This is a good time to mention that there's a connotative difference between speed-talking, which is the act of speaking incredibly quickly, and fast-talking, which is slang for dishonestly pressuring someone into buying or doing something they wouldn't otherwise buy or do, usually by speaking incredibly quickly. And I want to clarify right off the bat that what I'm interested in is not fast-talking, except that it's sometimes difficult to distinguish the two. John Machida spent most of his life filming TV commercials, and Steve Woodmore was an electronic salesman for Currys, and almost every variation of speed-talking made profitable today is in the business of selling something. One theory about speed-talkers is that they're able to recruit more portions of their brain to the task of articulation than the average person. And while this isn't necessarily true, even podcasts like this one depend on the perceived intelligence of quick speakers to gain the confidence of their listeners. Aside from the Guinness Book of World Records, there's no official competition for speed talkers in the U.S., 
likely for the same reason Skin has stopped recording Speed Talkers. But there is the World Livestock Auctioneer Championship, or WLAC, which began in 1963 and which celebrates the great American pastime of calling ourselves world champions of things only Americans do. And the WLAC is all about turning bidders Blaine Lotz, one of the fastest draws of the West, learned the auctioneer's chant from his mother, who learned it from her father, who learned it from an auctioneering school in Davenport, Iowa. When asked in an interview to describe the work of an auctioneer, Blaine responded, we are the music of the sale. And they are. A good auctioneer starts with the framework of calling out bids. Five, now six, six dollar bids, now eight, seven dollar bids, now eight, eight, now ten, now twelve, and so on, and so forth. Then you add filler phrases. Drop a few letters, and the phrase who will bid on repeat becomes the characteristic Speeding up, nodding to the crowd, stoking the competitive spirit of the bidders. The auctioneer's chant is mesmerizing. It's a rhythmic call waiting for response, built to build tension. Usually, when we use the word chant, we're referring to a chorus of voices, fused together at a football game or a political rally or a religious ceremony, but the auctioneer chants alone. And maybe this is what makes him so effective. Instinctively, you want to join, to contribute to the rush and rhythm, so you bid and you bid and you bid again. In his documentary, How Much Wood Would a Woodchuck Chuck? Werner Herzog calls auctioneering the last poetry possible, the poetry of capitalism. I'm not as pessimistic as Herzog. I don't believe in a day when people will stop creating beautiful things for the sake of beautiful things. And I think he discounts the importance of an auction to a consigner whose income for a year may depend on two minutes of fast talk. But I think Herzog is right to call the speed talk of salesmen a kind of poetry the kind that is preoccupied with rhythm and repetition, the kind that cares less about the literal meaning of words that finds a gleeful satisfaction in morphing clarity into an incomprehensible jumble of sound and syllable. One of the fascinating things about auctioneering is that the qualities of a good chant align almost exactly with the symptoms of a speech disorder called cluttering, rapid or irregular speech, the deletion or collapsing of syllables, and the unintended repetition of certain phrases. In a short film by Nick Clevertop, we're told a man named Todd struggles with cluttering before joining an auctioneering school, his mentor played by none other than John Mishkita Jr. himself, and eventually becoming a successful rapper. In the scenes meant to showcase Todd's speech impediment, though, his cluttering just sounds like quick but clear English to the audience. The speech is not impediment. And as someone who cluttered her way through high school, although mildly, although only when the clarity mattered, I find Todd's cluttering as superpower mildly frustrating. But his story fits well into a larger narrative surrounding speed talkers, one in which we cannot decide whether fast speech is exciting or exhausting, poetry or the height of capitalistic corruption. Speed talking is the place where language takes a sharp turn into gesture. Speed talkers are communicating, yes, but their communication has less to do with the clarity of their words and more to do with the energy and velocity of their speech patterns. When filming his famous Motormouth commercial for FedEx, John Machida Jr. recited his monologue 29 times without making a mistake before the director asked him if he was a machine. You want a mistake, Machida asked? I'll give you a mistake. And Machida did. He flips the line, a deal with Dick, Don, and Dave into, 
David's a dork with Dildon and Duck, and, and this is the take that makes it into the final FedEx commercial. You can only catch the slip-up if you know it's there. The words themselves, frankly, don't matter. Speed talkers counterintuitively disregard language for the sake of communication. They ask us to understand what they're saying without entirely understanding what they're saying. In my first college literature class, I did not have the attention span to sit through all my assigned readings. So when I had the time, I would haul my books onto the top floor of a nearby apartment building, to a communal study room with two large windows overlooking the campus, which lit up at night and pressed its glow against the glass, and I would read aloud to keep myself focused, so that if I lost concentration, or comprehension, I'd at least gain an appreciation for the rhythm of the writing I was reading. I had tasked myself with reading Walt Whitman's Song of Myself one night, all 2,000 plus words in one sitting, and as I was reading, I found myself caught in the momentum of the verse, the way Walt Whitman's lines slide into each other. So I stood up while reading, then I stood on my chair, then I stood on the table, and thinking myself terribly clever for the entire situation, I raced as fast as I could through Whitman's poem. Delighted at the way the language fit into my mouth and fell back out by the way I swear the words tasted. What strikes me as funny about the last three speed talking record holders, John Mashita Jr., Steve Woodmore, and Sean Shannon, is that all three practiced for breaking the speed talking world record with Shakespeare's Hamlet, with Hamlet's To Be or Not to Be soliloquy, arguably one of the greatest works of literature Western civilization has ever produced. And yet, Mashita Woodmore and Shannon all at one point chose it as the text they would speed read into nonsense. I would say it's sacrilegious, almost. Like the vain repetition of prayer, to streak through a man's suicidal ideation at top speed, to rehearse it so quickly and so often that the words lose meaning. But my own fascination with speed talking started with poetry. When I am thrust into my own outrageous fortune, it does not help to hear the empathetic reflection of my pain, however eloquently put in another writer's voice. It helps to hear my own voice, loud and long and fast and completely incomprehensible. The words give way to movement. What will be or will not be is overshadowed by what is, by the trip and tangle of tongue, by the confirmation that I exist outside of my own mind in the game of shoving words out of my mouth as fast as possible. In Whitman's song of myself, the phrase I am occurs 49 times. I am mad, I am silent, I am satisfied, I am there, I am solid, I am deathless, I am august, I am he, I am not, I am sorry. When reading song of myself to myself, I am reminded of the old brag of Sylvia Plath's heart. I am, I am, I am. The point is not what I am saying. The point is that I am still here to say it. I give speed talking three and a half stars. What's the deal with the deal? Are we dealing? We're dealing. David's a deal with Don Dork and Dick. Dork, it's a deal with Dave, Dick, and Dave. Don, it's a Dork with Dick, Dave, and Dick. Gotta go, Dave. Disconnecting, gotta go, Dick. Disconnecting, gotta go, Dad. Disconnecting. Federal Express. When it absolutely, positively has to be there overnight.